welcome back to The Lives of Writers, a podcast presented by Autofocus, a literary publisher of artful autobiographical writing, which you can find today at autofocuslit.com or on Twitter and Instagram at autofocuslit. I am the publisher of Autofocus, Michael Wheaton. Today on the show, I talk with Chelsea Hodson. Chelsea Hodson is the author of the book of essays, Tonight I'm Someone Else, and the chapbook, Pity the Animal. She is the publisher and editor of the new imprint, Rose Books, and she founded the Morning Writing Club. She has been awarded fellowships from McDowell Colony and Penn Center USA, and her writing has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, Hazlitt, ID, and elsewhere. All right, let's get to it. This is my conversation with Chelsea Hodson. You know, about a little over a year ago, I moved from Brooklyn to Sedona in Arizona. So it's a couple hours from where I grew up. So I spent a lot of my life in Arizona, but now I'm back. And that's something I resisted for a long time. But it suddenly became very clear when I started working remotely that I did not want to live in New York anymore. And neither did my husband. So we started envisioning what kind of big change we could make. So we were not really bound to any location, but we ultimately decided it would be nice to um, live closer to my family and to try to live in this beautiful city where I had visited. I went on a trip in February 2020, so like very shortly before everything shut down um, in New York in particular. Um, I visited my parents and we took a day trip up to Sedona and um We went to the airport Mesa, which is like this lookout point here, and I was just overwhelmed by the beauty of this place, and I had kind of a feeling like, what if I moved here? Like, what if my husband and I just packed up and moved here? Like, that would be crazy. And I kind of kept it in the back of my mind. I didn't say anything, but I, it became like this joke, like, oh, well, that won't be a problem when we live in Sedona. You know, it was like this, (laughs) this is like kind of thing that we didn't think would become real, but it was like, you know how you, you know, get attached to ideas that it's like, you know, sometimes you'll desire something like an object that you don't actually want, or you think about something that you think just won't actually happen, but it becomes this like, almost like a meme in your life. That's what Sedona became to us until we kind of like manifested it in a way. It's like, we just, one day we just packed up all our stuff in a moving truck and just went across the country <laughs> and um, we put all our stuff in storage. We, When we moved, we had tried to find a place to live and we still didn't find one. A lot of people were like, you live in New York, like you're obviously not going to move here. And we're like, no, we are, we promise. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of an, adv- it was an adventure of like, we just packed all our stuff up. We still didn't have a place to live. Um, but now we live here and we work totally remotely and my internet works really well, despite <laughs> emailing you yesterday saying it might go out because of a wind storm that we have here today, but it, it has been delayed a couple of hours. So the wind storm's nice. coming later and might um, turn the power off, which I just find very exciting, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> so has it, does it feel like you're kind of in it now? Does it still kind of feel like weird and magical and new? Or? Yeah. It's like, I always, um, I just felt like so much of my husband and I's identity was in New York, like who would we be if we didn't live there? And it just became immediately clear upon moving, like how much we needed to move. <laughs> like I let, we love it so much more than I could have ever anticipated. And I feel really lucky every day because I just think it's so cool to live in a forest in the middle of nowhere. I just, I love it. And, and I feel like it's so helpful for me having ideas to be 
removed from the New York mm-hmm. literary scene, which I know a lot of people are like, oh, I wish I could live there and see all the events there and be a part of it. Um, having been a part of it for several years, I just really wanted to get away from it. I feel like <laughs> being being apart from things is so helpful to just think and imagine different ways of doing things. And I think mm-hmm. that has led me to um, make a living in the middle of nowhere. So, and just like re- reimagine what that can mean for me as a writer. So I think it's just, it's just really been a huge help for me creatively, actually. Yeah. And I know from your collection, which I do want to talk about in a little bit, right? I mean, you've worked in all sorts of uh, jobs and you've had this kind of resistance, you know, to, yeah. <laughs> um, to take on a job where you didn't kind of have to like figure it out and scrap it together. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, you're working a lot with writers, you know, and I know you're about to start doing Rose Books, your own press. Um, but yeah, I wonder if you would talk a little bit about your life kind of right now, like scrapping it together, <laughs> as you yeah, say. Yeah, totally. Um, um, working with writers and uh, doing it like in literature. Yeah, it's definitely an extension of what I did 10, 15 years ago, but I like all the jobs now. So <laughs> didn't like all the jobs a while ago, but I like all of them now. But um, my day starts every day at five um, or every weekday at five. I don't know. I, I kind of um, have a different, more relaxed schedule on the weekends to kind of give myself a break. Because when, you know, you freelance or you work for yourself um, every day, it feels like I should be working. So I burn out a lot, actually. And so Mm -hmm. I try to, I'm always trying to set a little more of a limit. Um, And so for this morning writing club that I run through my Patreon, every morning um, at 6 a.m. Arizona time, which will change back in another couple weeks to 5 a.m. So for part of the year, it's 5 a.m. for me, part of the year, it's 6 a.m. But it stays the same for everyone else. It's just Arizona doesn't follow daylight savings time, which is funny. Oh, they're like, they're like, we sorry. don't do that. <laughs> so it changes for me, but it's the same for everyone else. So like 5 to 7 a.m. Pacific time, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern time. Um, we meet on Zoom every weekday, and um, we've done that since August when I started it. So I started it as an experiment. I had been running this accountability program called Finish What You Start. And as part of that, I tested out having these group accountability sessions over Zoom where we would kind of sign on, say hi, and then just go camera off and muted. And it seems so simple where like I try to explain that to people and they're like, what's the point? (laughs) And but I found it really helpful. And Mm -hmm. um, I got really good feedback from the people in the group saying, like, can we do that again? Like that gave me this new level of focus. And I loved having it in my calendar. You know, could we do more of those sessions? So I did that for this group I was running. And through running that group, Finish What You Start, I kind of dreamt up this idea of the morning writing club where every morning at the same time instead of doing it like how about we do it next weekend guys you know like just having a thing that was always running that you can either show up for not show up for show up late for leave early for um it's just it's there every every weekday and um and that has grown into a pretty big group it's like almost 200 members now and a lot of us meet every morning um we sign on, I say hi, I pull a card from this deck I have called Oblique Strategies, uh, which is by Brian Eno and another artist. And I do kind of an optional prompt for the day. Um, and then we go camera off, we mute ourselves, 
if people forget to mute themselves, I mute them. <laughs> so I kind of, I kind of, I'm the host of the group. So it's like, you know, I open the Zoom, I close the Zoom, I manage the Zoom. But beyond that, we're all just writing at the same time. So that has become um, the kind of foundation of my days. <laughs> and yeah. so I like that. So I wake up at five and I actually kind of get settled before it actually starts at six for me. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's my writing time for the day. And so I'm lucky that, you know, that has been a help to other people, but that's also, that's also a help to me. <laughs> it's like, I kind of yeah. <laughs> have for, I've, I've dreamt up a way to force myself to be writing at a certain point every day, because something I've noticed, and I don't know if you notice this um, in your role at autofocus too, but it's actually a lot easier for me to work on other people's work than it is my own. Yeah. <laughs> Does that resonate with you? Uh-huh. Absolutely. <laughs> And so I actually have to be really hard on myself to work on my own stuff because sometimes mm-hmm. I just feel like, well, it's less pressure, first of all, to work on someone else's. But I also, I think I actually enjoy it more. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, ultimately I will be upset and depressed if I'm not writing. Like I really want to yeah. do do the thing that I do, you know, which I like, I like writing a good sentence. So if I never, if I never do that, I don't think I'll be happy, but on a day-to-day basis, if you give me a choice and say, do you want to work on someone else's book or do you want to work on your own? I'm liable to say, I want to work on that other person's book, uh-huh. which I realized, you know, it makes me an ideal publisher. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like, I've been, have. I've been working behind the scenes and like as an editor for people for several, several years now, we're like a workshop teacher and I'm, I've just been working on other people's work for years. But I think that ultimately led me to think like, what if I actually published these books that I'm working on? Like, what if I didn't just edit them and send them on their way? What if some of the books like I actually took on? Yeah. So that's been part of, like I said, this reimagining of like, now that I live in the middle of nowhere, like, what do you, what do you do with that? <laughs> you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, it's allowed me to just dream up different scenarios. So I start my day with the Zoom, with my group, my own writing um then i switch gears so the rest of the day is either coaching meetings so i have i'm like a writing and accountability coach for other writers um i still do some freelance editing not that much anymore so i'll I'll have some zoom meetings throughout the day um and then i'm spending a couple hours every day on rose books the new indie press Mm -hmm. so um i'm pretty much the only person doing stuff for that i guess I, my control issues are coming out in full force yeah. in the way uh-huh. that I have to do everything myself, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's going okay. It's just, um, it's a lot of different, you know, kinds of work every day, which I'm sure you relate to as well. So. Absolutely. I actually, you know, to speak to your point of needing accountability to do my own things, I actually looked into your <laughs> accountability group and I can't do it because of the time, but I was like definitely searching for something I had heard great things about it and working with you and I was like and maybe I should maybe I should do I'm still trying to find my way to make myself accountable right now yeah my mantra is like oh in the spring I'll like do me yeah like, I just have to do all this other stuff first but I, I can know, I can make that last a long time I know I so that so resonates with me and it's so hard to put your own work first sometimes but um 
Well, if you ever want to try it, let me know. I'll refund you for the first one. <laughs> I'll, no, give you, I'll, get, I'll give you a you. deal. Um, but they, there's also, you know, one of the other accountability elements outside of the Zoom is um, the shared tracking spreadsheet. So everyone in the group that wants to participate in the spreadsheet every day that you write, no matter if you're in the Zoom or not, you can go in and say, okay, my here's my name, here's the date, here's how many words I wrote, and here's like a note on how it went. And so you can see everyone else being like, I hated today or someone else is like, I had a great day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's lots of different ways to, I think, hold yourself accountable. But I have found um, a lot of benefits in doing it in a group setting, which is surprising to me because I have always considered myself to be very, very solitary. But there's something that really helps about that. Yeah, I I noticed there's like a social accountability. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to publicly fail. (laughs) The stakes are like really low. Yeah, totally. Publicly <laughs> fail. I'll fail privately all the time, but <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah. So when you were kind of like, you know, what I think I can actually like, yeah, I can start a press and I can put stuff out. And I will say to your credit, you're like, I was looking in, like, you're very smart to do two, <laughs> two a year at first. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I definitely did not do that and wish I did. And I'm learning how to, how many did you sign on for at first? The first year I did six. Oh my gosh. But wow. it was, I had, well, anyway, I won't That's get into it. That's so much it. work. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't do, well, I would, cause it was, I really enjoyed <laughs> first year. So I say like, I wouldn't do it differently. Like if I was smart, I would, I would have slowed down to, for my own benefit. Yeah. But I also am like kind of an, a junkie. And I liked, (laughs) at least for that year, I was like, let's just keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Anyway, yeah, I wonder like when you were like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this and thinking about kind of the books you would do. Were there any like um, small presses that you were thinking of, like that made it seem like attainable to you or like kind of to guide your like aesthetic in a way? I know like when I was starting Autofocus, there were definitely like a few presses or series that... I kind of kept in hand thinking about at least how they would look or like what a yeah. book might be like or the size of it, things like that. Yeah, I was for you, like what were some of the places that you were looking at as kind of like a model or like yeah. as inspiration? Yeah, the number one inspiration for me is definitely Tyrant Books, mm-hmm. which is no longer because of the death of Giancarlo de Trapano, the editor and publisher, who was um, a very good friend of mine and also actually a business partner as well. So mm-hmm. we had a really good kind of dynamic where we ran this workshop in Italy and um, it was just an amazing partnership. And I feel like I learned so much from him, um, although he and I are were, you know, almost complete opposites. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, like we we had enough in common to really bond over certain things. But there were other things where he's he was just the complete opposite of me. And um, I found that so fascinating. So he mm-hmm. like and something I noticed about running a workshop with him was he has this kind of innate confidence about what he does. And I was always trying to adopt a little of that. It's like I I can I can pull it together, but I'm not as innately confident as as he was. And he you know, I just love the way that he would say something in workshop and say like and that's that kind of vibe. <laughs> he wouldn't say that mm. phrase, but he would say like obviously the work should be like this. And he just had such a clear vision. And I think that helped me crystallize my own and say, "You know what? Mm. Just because it's subjective, and someone else would think differently, it doesn't mean that I'm wrong <laughs> or that one opinion is right and the other is wrong. It's like, you're allowed to have 
an editorial vision that you stay true to. And that's something that I think after he died, I really thought about and thought, not that I could ever replace Tyrant Books or take the place of it or that Rose Books is even anything like Tyrant Books, but just this idea of uh, someone with a really clear editorial vision and taste and style, um, you know, helping to put books into the world. And I think at its core, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and that's something that I just loved about what he did because he didn't really publish, you know, one type of book only. It was just whatever a manuscript he encountered that he absolutely loved, he would publish. And so I'm trying to kind of adopt that and say, you know, before I started Rose Books, think a lot about what do I really love and like, what do I think needs to exist in the world? So um, I think about that. And I also think about, um, I really like the press amphetamine sulfate. I like their mm -hmm. editorial vision. Um, and then I, there's one in the UK called Inf Infinity Land Press, and they do some really beautiful hardcovers as well. So there's not really one press that I'm looking at for their editor, uh, not just editorial vision, but also just um, how the books are printed and presented. Mm -hmm. But I, I, those three come to mind as, you know, things that I like different elements about. And something that I really wanted to do, and part of the reason I'm only doing two books a year so far, is because I wanted to actually make a more expensive book. So mm -hmm. I really admire the way that small presses operate in whatever capacity they can. But I really love expensive, beautiful books. So <laughs> uh, my paperbacks on Rose Books are intentionally affordable and remain mm -hmm. in print. But I'm doing limited edition cloth-bound hardcovers of each book. And so that you know, someone could conceivably have one of each hardcover and they would all look uniform on a shelf. Um, mm -hmm. So that even if the paperbacks vary in size and design elements, the hardcovers look really uniform and cool. And so I think that's um, an element that I just kind of dreamt up that I just thought, what if I had this, you know, more expensive book and, um, Weirdly enough, that was the first that sold out like right away on um, uh, for the first book that I announced. So I think I was right that there is a demand for that. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just a bigger financial risk that I have to take on yeah. <laughs> because it's just me. <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm essentially willing to do that because I don't think there's that much at stake for three books to announce. And it's like I can just figure my way out from there. But I think from. Yeah basing on the reaction of the first one, that that is a sustainable option, even though I'm a micro small press. Mm -hmm. We did um, one book with a limited edition hardcover and then um, switched to print on demand paperback. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, yeah, the limited edition sold out. <laughs> yeah, it's um, interesting. But the print on demand yeah. is um, such a different quality than it was even a couple years ago. Yeah, um, I was kind of shocked to learn some of the books that I owned were print on demand that I didn't even know. So that's cool to see, too. Yeah, it was one of the things that I mean, as you know, like when you when you're like, OK, I guess I'm going to publish books. Yeah. Um, you st like every book you touch, like you look at differently yes. and you kind of experience <laughs> differently than when you were more just a reader, totally. <laughs> kind of consumer of them. Um, and when I started to realize all these books that I thought were really well done and looked amazing. And I was like, these are yeah. all POD. Like, yeah. I can figure this out. And, <laughs> and you really can. And um, 
like I, I'm definitely a big believer in like, I think more writers should start <laughs> their own little press, even if they're not going to yeah. do that much. It's, I guess, I mean, it's, a, I think a certain kind of person maybe um, <laughs> with who has a lot of previous skills, like random previous skills that suddenly. Yes, that's exactly how I feel, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> it's me too. Like, when I started doing this, I was like, I've done all of this. I was like, I've done all of this at different periods of my life. Um, and you need access to someone good with visual design. <laughs> yes. You definitely need <laughs> someone close by. Um, but it's like, I, I pay for it, you know, myself as well. And I don't have money like to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is very much like credit card touch and go. And like, I am very grateful. My wife is supportive yeah. <laughs> and, you know, hope my, I'm not like blowing all my kids money <laughs> or something like that. But you know, like it, it's, um, I, I don't do a lot of other things socially that cost yeah. money. So it's, <laughs> it's like, I guess, you know, I don't go to the to the bar and blow money anymore like I used to in my 20s so this is kind of like yeah and I think <laughs> I think like you know if you bar. can gauge what your audience is and you know like print using print on demand there's these ways now to use technology to our advantage to make reasonable financial risk decisions I think you know like I I really was just doing the math on like worst case scenario and it's like it wasn't that bad because I was relying on pre-order before I made the order you know like how many I'm actually going to print so it's like there's ways to work outside of what mainstream publishing does you know it's like as soon as i let go of this idea of like okay what would penguin random house do it's like you can't you can't be thinking that way it's like a di it's a totally different game it's like i had to just reimagine what actually makes sense you know on a logistical level and if i'm funding it myself like what actually makes this possible for me so um and some of this was funded not only my my patreon but also from like workshops I teach. So just teaching like on Zoom, that honestly helped fund the kind of the start of the press and I think will continue to, so. Yeah, all the literary work you do kind of feeds into itself. I yeah. Suppose. In the end, it's all kind of the same yeah. thing, just different avenues of pursuing, I guess just like pursuing a life in literature. Totally. <laughs> However, we can put it together. Yeah. So I guess like, uh, I think, and I'll say again, we'll get to, we'll get to the collection again a little more <laughs> later. But you know, in that book, there's definitely a sense of um, a, a person who has like a quest to make their life into yeah. art, uh, and a kind of like romanticism or like yearning in a way. Which again, we'll we'll talk more about the different ways that that manifests. But there's definitely, I feel like, in your uh, essay collection, the work in that, like, there's definitely like a sense that you want to live like this very full yeah. life. Um, and you want it to feel um, like meaningful and like you, you want this life in art. Um, and I wonder like if you would talk a little bit about how long that's been with you and kind of the like growing up the different manifestations that's taken to finally look kind of how it looks yeah. now you know, in this way in literature. And, and I know a little bit of background from it from the book, but if you would talk, yeah, just a bit about kind of growing up and um, pursuing life and art the way that you have. Yeah, um, I appreciate that question. And it's interesting too, to think about my book in terms of like what I'm doing now, because this is the first interview I've really had that's like taken both the press and my collection into consideration you know it's like it's interesting to uh -huh. see how like I totally see what you're saying but I haven't really thought about that myself but um yeah uh I think that um you know growing up I was in 
encouraged to participate in art. Like I volunteered with my mom at like a film festival in high school. My mom was really into independent film and going to museums and my dad played music. And so um, there was always this kind of embracing of art and culture. But I was also, you know, encouraged to get a pretty stable job, (laughs) which I understand. And that's what my parents had. And it was kind of like, you know, doing anything else is a really big risk. And, you know, if I don't have a ton of money myself, then a risk is more dangerous than, you know, someone that grew up with a ton of money taking a creative risk is maybe just less, there's less at stake. So for me, it was very much like, okay, yeah, we know you like writing, you know, in high school, I would do zines. I even worked at um, what's now called FedEx office, right? But at the time it was a Kinko's for me. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I was talking actually to someone that's helping me print this, these risograph zines I'm doing for Rose books. Um, And I said, yeah, I used to work at Kinko's and she was like, Oh, I didn't even know that like Kinko's was a thing. I've heard of FedEx Kinko's. So I was like, Oh God, I'm really (laughs) getting old now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But anyway, I worked at Kinko's because I, I, when I thought about, okay, what do I actually want for free? You know, like a lot of my friends would work at like retail, like, you know, at the mall or work at a food place. I was like, I actually just want free copies. So that like really, yeah. you know, I didn't know that that would, you know, someday turn into me starting my own press, which is kind of funny when I make that link now that that was like my first high school job was like waiting for my boss to leave so I could print my own zines at night. Um, mm-hmm. So I have a lot of romantic. This is your destiny. Yeah, I have like a lot of romantic <laughs> memories about working at Kinko's. Like I just I loved working there, actually. <laughs> but um, I think I'm just digressing a little bit, but I I worked there and made these zines and would go to basically punk, hardcore, indie shows. And I really saw how musicians did things themselves. And -hmm. I think that made a real impact on me. So I do play music, but I don't really consider myself like, you know, I'm not a working musician or anything, obviously. But um, that kind of ethos that I saw firsthand as a high schooler really made an impact on me. And I thought there are a lot of ways to make a life (laughs) and it doesn't have to be this straightforward, like risk-free way that I've seen most of, you know, most adults live in my life. So I think it took me a while to like fully embrace that, but I did basically after college. So it's like, I got my degree in journalism because that was, that seemed, (laughs) which is hilarious to admit, again, I'm aging myself at the time. That was the stable route for writing is like being a journalist, which is like, so (laughs) it's like sad how funny that is now. But I actually remember, you know, this is like mid two thousands of, um, uh, you know, I remember one of my teachers essentially whispering to our class being like, get out now, like get out while you can. Like she like saw, you know, the end coming. Like she was like, don't, don't do this, you guys. And we're like, what? Like, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't see what she saw, but I did remember that years later. But anyway, I had this kind of, you know, straightforward education in journalism. Um, I didn't read that much to be totally honest. Like I, I hear some writers and publishers and just people that I know in the literary world that have like read the most amazing novels from a young age that actually was not me (laughs) I was really into music and going to shows and Mm -hmm. engaging with art but I would I it's like I couldn't really I didn't really have um, a basis to appreciate literature on until college I think and um, I took I randomly took a poetry class that was just like an elective 
And it was taught by a TA and it like completely changed my life. It changed like the trajectory of my life is like this one intro to poetry class. And that just really set me on this path of wanting to be a writer and wanting. So I, I started wanting to be a poet and I was like, you know, I'll, I'll see this journalism degree through, but I think I'm probably not going to do it. You know, I kind of, it's like, I already knew, yeah. but I don't want to switch my major or anything. I don't want to rock the boat. I was like, let me just see this through. Cause I liked my classes fine, but I was like, I just don't see myself being a journalist. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, so I studied more poetry, took more poetry classes. And then I moved to New York, um, from Tucson where I went to school. So I went, moved to New York and just tried desperately to kind of integrate myself into the literature scene there and had a hell of a time doing it because I didn't really know anyone. And I worked like four part-time jobs to make ends meet in a, in a yeah. room that I rented off Craigslist where my roommates had to walk through my room to get to the only bathroom in the apartment. So it's like I was working a lot for very little, but I still really enjoyed it. It's just like I wasn't really getting things together writing-wise. So I think after a couple of years, it's like I moved to L.A. for a job. I moved back to New York. And all this time I was, you know, trying to bring my writing to the next level. So I was like taking classes, um, trying to get my work edited by people. I had a few poetry publications. I started writing essays. That kind of led me to where I am now. Um, But basically, you know, after college, I... Um, as I started getting part-time jobs, it's like, I got one part-time job in New York and I was like, that's enough to make my rent. So I'll get there and then I'll figure it out. (laughs) And then I would just add another part-time job and add another part-time job. Um, but so that kind of set a precedent for honestly where I'm at now. It's like, I still kind of do that. I still just kind of add things on until I can make ends meet. Um, but you know, I had a pretty traditional, um, position um, in academia, teaching at an MFA program. And I chose to leave it actually, because I just felt like I had other ideas. Like I said, it's like, as soon as I moved, I just imagined other possibilities. And I started thinking about Rose books, but I didn't tell anyone about it yet. But it's like, I had this sense that being at that job was restricting me in, and it was keeping me from doing what I should be doing. So I took that risk to ultimately just let it go even though I liked it in a lot of ways I felt that I needed to create more space in my life to do the next thing which was Rose Books so Mm. I think I really have put a lot of effort into um, having a life that allows for art and writing and even just conversations about those things to happen like that's what I really like and I guess I value that over stability ultimately (laughs) my life is very uneven you know and it always has been and i think Mm -hmm. it always will be yeah um and when did you start writing essays i think writing personal essays too (laughs) uh also is a way to make your life a little uneven in a way yeah uh, (laughs) in your head trying to negotiate uh what's at stake in life and what's at stake in art and when those two things are very blended when did you start writing essays like when did you move from poetry to um, the the essay form or writing about yourself? I, think, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm not to say you might not have been in poetry. But. No, I did. I did at one point start to transition, and someone that was editing my work at the time said, "You know, I think you're actually leaning towards the essay form in your poems now, and I think you should try to just 
write an essay. And like I said, I was actually, you know, pretty ignorant about a lot of literature, especially contemporary literature when in my early 20s. So I did a lot of reading and learning um, just kind of after that point, learning what essays actually were and could be. Because I, I, I think that ultimately I thought at first I wasn't smart enough to write them. I was like, oh, that's for people who have their shit figured out. <laughs> you know, And like, I'm just this like poet <laughs> trying to fake it till you make it. I'm like trying to figure out what poetry is. And when, when someone else told me, like, I think what you're actually trying to do is this, that meant a lot to me. And I thought, well, that seems, you know, like something I should explore then. I shouldn't just write poems. So let me try it. And um, I felt a lot more free in that form and just being able to, you know, not, not break the line, not worry about the form of the poem or how long it was going to end up being and just kind of write. So that set me on a whole new path. And um, I think that's what turned into the essay collection. I just... I would write an essay until I felt like I didn't know how to make it better. And I would just put it away. And then I would start a new one until I reached that same point And I'd be like, I don't know what to do with it. I'll put it away mm-hmm. until I'd kind of accumulated, you know, four or five essays. And then by then it had been a year. So I'd go back, you know, a, a year prior to the essay I wrote, you know, a year ago. And, um, and I would know what to do. So it's like I started developing this <laughs> self-editing system where, you know, I'd grow frustrated with a piece and feel like I burnt out on it and I didn't know what to do. But I realized with enough time away from it, problems could be suddenly resolved. I was like, oh, suddenly it's clear. So like I said, you know, I had just taken poetry classes and I read like a formal education in writing or English until much later. So I did later in life, I got my MFA. Um, But that was, I think, like eight years out of college. So later I started kind of ironing out the collection. Um, But I think it was based on that feeling of reaching a point where I'm like, okay, I don't know how to make it better. I like, I better seek outside help. (laughs) And I just (laughs) felt like, you know, pursuing a more serious program would help me kind of figure out what I was actually trying to do with the collection rather than just working one essay at a time and being like, I don't know, it's, it seems okay. <laughs> it's mm. like, I was never like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, a, you're, it's actually a question I kind of had for you was when you were developing that book, like if you always knew it was a collection, because it's, it's definitely a book that I've kind of taken and put aside as like, this is a, a collection of essays where it, it, at least it feels like it was written as a collection of essays, like it knew kind of what it was and what, the essays could do in it and what kind of they should do in it. Um, I guess what my question is, is like, all right, so you do have it as a book in mind. Yeah. And um, you're just kind of writing toward that book. And then at what point did you feel like you knew what kind of the definition of, of the book was? And I guess maybe I should, I should backtrack in a way, (laughs) but like a lot of the essays in the book have to do with like desire and kind of like a desire to lose yourself Mm -hmm. in another person or an object or like an obsession or maybe like if if that's not a good way to put it like maybe it's like bringing out of yourself a different person from yeah like being in contact with other people or 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 like kind of like what i was saying before like the the quest to be an artist to like yearn for people and places (laughs) and identities um like was it always just like, that's what my collection is going to be about? <laughs> or was there like a period of writing where you're like, this is 
what I'm interested in without realizing I was interested in it. Yeah, I'm honored that you would think that I had had that much information starting the book because I definitely <laughs> didn't. I came to that, but I think, you know, ideally in revision, you can project this feeling like, yes, it was always meant to be this kind mm -hmm. of collection, <laughs> but it definitely wasn't at first. But I think, you know, the best part about writing a collection is that you can take it piece by piece. So I thought, yes, I want them to be connected someday. I don't really know how they're connecting now, but I'm going to try and make each essay as good as it can be. And then each one can stand alone and then together they can be better. You know, it's like a very straightforward, mm -hmm. for, straightforward idea. And only much later in the book, you know, five essays in maybe, did I start thinking, okay, these are the things that are coming up again and again. Here's the things I keep returning to. But, you know, each essay had a kind of different intention from the beginning. So like the first essay is about um, a relationship I had paired with a job I had, which happened to be at NASA. <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. like a very low level uh, caption writing job at, at NASA, which is like through a fellowship I had through my journalism degree. So I got, I kind of lucked into this job um, and it was a very strange job, but I noticed, you know, the rise and fall of a relationship was kind of at the same exact time that this lander launched into space and landed on Mars. I thought, okay, that's kind of an interesting parallel. And it's not one that most people can write because most people don't right. work for NASA. You know? <laughs> so I was always looking for those things of like, what could I write that no one else can write? And how can I make these connections that seem unlikely at first? Like, I think my first instinct would have been to just write about the relationship or just write about NASA. But by pairing them together, it gave me as the writer this friction to like work within. And that is how I think a lot of my essays come together, where it's like, you know, I, I think I'm going one way and then this new thing gets introduced and suddenly I have to resolve that by the end of the essay. And that gives me a problem to work within instead of just being like, I was sad and in love with my boyfriend who didn't love me back. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, I like I liked finding those unlikely connections and um so, you know, usually just essay by essay, I would just have one idea like that or a title. <laughs> it's like sometimes I would write yeah. to the title, be like, that's a really good mm -hmm. title. Let me like, what would an essay look like if it was called that? Um, or like later in the writing process, it's like, you know, after my book had sold and I was working with my editor at Holt, she was like, you know, I think your money comes up a lot in your book. She goes, but you haven't written an essay you know, specifically about money. Can you try doing that and just see what happens? And I was like, yeah, sure. And that became this essay called The New Love, which is just about love. <laughs> so it's like, mm -hmm. you know, in giving myself an assignment or by taking an assignment from someone else, um, it always would just turn into something else. It's like, like I recently was asked to write something for a magazine and it's like, I have this self-destructive impulse where like I cannot write to what they want me to write. <laughs> uh -huh. like they were like write about this and I I started writing about that but I turned it into something else and I was like here's this piece that's even better than what you asked me right and they were like we're not publishing this so <laughs> um so I think that impulse can be good if used in the right way it's like you know my editor asked me to write about money and as a result I was able to write a, more about desire and love in this di from this different vantage point so um, only later, you know, did working with editors and 
you know, getting outside feedback, I think sometimes that's the best way to figure out what your book is about. <laughs> that's yeah. why that's why I do freelance consultations with people. Sometimes it's like, you know, having someone tell me, oh, this is you're writing a collection or uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're actually trying to write in essays or you should write about this. Those kinds of things actually really, really helped my book come together. It wasn't all just in my head. It was like, you know, this reaction to other people's feedback to me, which was helpful. Yeah. And um, one of the essays, Pity the Animal, came out as a chapbook, right, with Future Tense. Yes. Um, I've interviewed uh, Kevin Samsel previously. Yeah, I saw that you did. Um, yeah, I wonder, like, wh- like kind of when in the process that happened and how um, it either helped or didn't help kind of the collection come along or just like, yeah, just the role of putting out a chat book for you. Um, if it was a big help in certain ways or yeah, if it wasn't. It was 100% a huge help. I basically credit my career to Kevin Samsel in a lot of ways. And he knows that <laughs> like, I'm like, without, <laughs> and you know, this is, this seems to be a recurring theme in this conversation. It's like, you know, I wish I had this inherent confidence in my own work and myself, but a lot of times it was people like Kevin who were like, you're an amazing writer. Let me help you, you know, put a chat book out or something. And I w- and it's like, that would bring me to the next level because someone else said that it helped me just believe in myself enough to get to that level. Um, mm-hmm. Rather than just being like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to put out a chat book and it's going to be great. It's like, I was just writing and like, you know, fl- basically flailing around in New York and I got booked on a reading at a bookstore with Kevin when his memoir came out. So I'd never, I had never met him, but I thought he was cool <laughs> and he thought I was cool. <laughs> he was like, but he, I, re- I read this essay I was working on. It wasn't Pity the Animal, but he approached me after the reading and, you know, thanked me for reading with him and was super polite and was like, you know, are you working on a collection? Because I'm interested, you know, like he was like, Mm -hmm. you know, I think you have something. And um, I said, I am, but it's so, I was like, it's not ready, which I knew it wasn't, you know, this is like six years or five years before my collection did actually come, uh, come out. But it's like, it was so raw and early that I just was like, I can't agree to publish anything, you know, like I'm, it'll be years. And I, I just, I knew that. So I wasn't, seduced by this idea of this opportunity of like, oh, I better just put together a collection now so he can publish it. I knew in my heart it wasn't going to be a good book if I just said like, yeah, I'll do a full book with you right now. So I was like, I so appreciate that, but I don't think I'm ready. And like, I just need more time, but I'll be in touch, you know? And he was like, well, I do this chat book series that maybe you'd be right for. Um, Would you want to do an essay as a chat book? And I had never even heard of anyone doing that. You know, I, I, I'd heard of poetry chat books, but suddenly the opportunity was in front of me of like, well, I could do that. And I said, I am working on this essay, but it's not done yet. And I don't want you to read it yet till it's done. And so he actually, because of his belief in me, he announced the chat book without reading it first, which I just found <laughs> so incredible. Wow. Like he was like, I know whatever you do will be great. And mm-hmm that gave me enough confidence. You know, like I said, it's like without that deadline and that kind of propulsion forward of like, okay, this has got to be done by this date. It's going to be published. That's a big deal. It better be good. It just helped me finish it. It helped me make it good. And then he edited with me afterwards. But, um, you know, I just figured, okay, that'll be cool. That comes out, you know, that'll come out and 
you know, it probably won't change my life, but it'll be cool. You know, <laughs> like I just, mm-hmm. I, you know, no, no shade to future tense, but I was just kind of like, who's going to care that much about my chat book? That's ultimately what uh-huh. I thought. And, um, it came out, I did a book, I did a book trailer for it. I did like a uh-huh. video trailer and I don't know if it was that or, you know, Twitter, or I had a blog at the time. I don't really know what it was, but the chat book actually kind of took off <laughs> and it was kind of, it was like a big deal for me um, where people suddenly knew I was a writer. I was interviewed on other people. Like that was a huge, huge deal for me, the podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah. this, I suddenly had this air of legitimacy that I did not have before. And um, that actually helped me get an agent. So it's like all these things happened from one person at a small press telling me, like, you can do this. And I think that's something that really, really stuck with me for Rose Books, where it's like, that was such a force of good for me, where it's like, how can I be that for someone else? How can I be that force of good in someone else's life the way that he was in mine? You know, he really set me on a trajectory, I think. Mm. And, you know, that piece is a centerpiece in the book. I mean, it's also kind of like in the center of the book, but mm-hmm. it's also kind of a centerpiece in the book um, for where it takes kind of the intimacy that's been established and kind of um, disclosure in the book. Yeah. Um, and it's a little longer. Um, I wonder if you would talk a little bit about creating intimacy in the work. I, I assume that when the chat book came out, that's what people <laughs> were probably drawn to yeah. in the work, because I don't think you find it a lot of places like that piece in particular is about like this kind of question of whether to do like sex work and it's bringing in and threading a lot of different things and questions of like responsibility and like objecthood and selfhood yeah um and so i wonder yeah if you would talk about kind of kind of what i was saying earlier about this desire to make your life Mm -hmm. into art and then also like bracing for the reality of it like where does this impulse come from or where did it where where did it come from or where does it come from in that pull to write uh intimately Mm -hmm. about yourself and intimately to a reader yeah yeah would you talk a little bit about you know that piece sure or just kind of all in in general definitely um i think that was the second essay in the collection that i wrote like time wise um and that one it's interesting because talking about the deadline for the book too and the constraint of what I had to do for the chat book. So Kevin said, okay, it's got to be 5,000 words. That's longer than anything I had ever written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, I again, it's like I agreed to do it, but his confidence <laughs> put me in the right direction where I was like, okay, I got to just pull it together and do this. Even if I don't feel ready, I'm going to do it. So I got to about 3,000 words. I felt totally stuck. And I thought, okay, I'm dealing with all these topics. It's like I'd written, um, you know, I had written towards these ideas of at the core of that essay is like, if a human, an animal and an object can all in some ways be sold, you know, in like different cultural settings or different meanings of that word, they can all be sold. Then what is the difference between them? And that kind of set me on the path of defining like what is a woman versus what is an animal like, do some people just, dis- you know, make distinct, distinguish between those two? Or if women are sometimes treated as objects, then what is the, what is the point of being a woman? <laughs> it's like, that gave me enough to, like, unravel and deal with. So um, I, I realized I was working towards those things, but I felt that including other voices would actually help me go a level deeper. 
So I was like, okay, this is like a fine 3,000 word essay. How do I make it a really good 5,000 word essay? I was like, I need to kind of like level it up somehow. And so I went to the library and just started requesting all these really old archival like off-site materials that they had to deliver to the library and then deliver to the desk and you weren't allowed to leave with them. It was, it was almost like fetishistic. It's like they they would come like wrapped in twine, you know, which I just thought was like so exotic. <laughs> so I would kind of just be there looking through these books, but thinking about the essay. And so it was almost like a meditative act where I would sometimes find a line that would speak to me and I would be like, okay, what if I just put that arbitrarily somewhere in the essay? What does that do to it? You know, um, and even like finding a YouTube video, I was like, that should just be in my essay. <laughs> you know, like so <laughs> I just I just started seeing it as an essay that kind of mimics how I was taking in information at the time, not just about the essay, but in general of like, you know, I read a lot of books that I felt like did not really speak to the time of like looking at a YouTube video or reading a book while you're writing your book or whatever. And I really liked that book, um, Reality Hunger by David Shields. And I think I was thinking a lot about that mm -hmm. book when I yeah. just thought, what if I just throw someone else's voice in the middle of this? Like, what does that do? And you can see in the in the actual essay that it gives me something to kind of bounce off of. So it's almost like I'm having a conversation with these other texts. And because of that, I can be bolder or say things I wouldn't have said if I was just on my own speaking. So... I think that just created this friction that allowed me to get to that next level with the essay. And by the time that was published, I thought, that's what I'm trying to do. You know, I'd, I'd been working on all these other essays and I was like, okay, I like I, I reached that level of clarity that I'm always going for. Like, I felt like I said everything that needed to be said about that topic. And almost almost as a result of that, I felt like I transcended my need for other voices. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like a lot of the other essays don't have that, have don't have that element. There's a little bit of other excerpted material, but I kind of have never done it again in the same way because I just feel like I needed it for that essay, but I didn't, I haven't needed it again in the same way yet. Hmm. Yeah. And I think of like some of the other pieces in the book um, and kind of like, I guess like the main forms in there is like the narrative based one that threads in kind of different elements from like the main story or like other sub story stories yeah. or other things going on. And then there's ones that are more like the fragmentary, like collage of clips. Yeah. Things that, things that seem clipped out um, of journal or uh, notes or, or letters or something. And then there are some that kind of feel like that intimate, like, journaling like it is like the essay form is kind of like a sense yeah. of like recurring journal uh or or letters like sometimes like writing to yourself or writing to kind of a specific you mm -hmm. and i wonder if you would talk a little bit more about kind of like working with those forms particularly the ones that you know are like clipped kind of feel clipped and kind of rearranged and put together you know what draws you to those kinds of forms that are you know inherently personal or kind of a collection of thoughts and feelings uh, coming from, from you yeah. and other places. Yeah, um, I like that question. And uh, it, it reminds me of feedback I got from someone in a workshop setting in my when I was doing my MFA. Someone, it's like we all wrote response letters to each other and then 
one woman just refused to write a letter for this piece I had written because she was like, I don't even know how to respond to this. It's just like walking around in a museum. Like, how am I supposed to respond to that? And I was like, that's the best feedback I could ever get. Like, I was was like, I love that feedback. Like, she meant it as a total insult. Like, she was like, I don't even know what to do with this stupid essay, you know? And I was like, I actually, like, that's exactly what I'm going for. You know, like, I was like, I, I love that. So it just reminds me of that because I like that feeling and I, I, um, I'm drawn to, you know, I think of them ideally as aphorisms and, you know, I love the Stoics, um, like Marcus Aurelius's meditations, um, even a lot of Seneca I really like. And so I, you know, not that I am at that level, but I really like that form. And to me, it offers this glimpse into a moment or a feeling that not every moment or feeling or beautiful image needs an essay. <laughs> so I think sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I read collections that are like, okay, did this, you know, and I'm sure people feel this way, this way about mine, where it's like, okay, did this really need its own essay? <laughs> <laughs> or you, you see this sometimes with people who write a viral essay and then they get a book deal out of it. It's like, okay, but it didn't need to be a book. It, it, right, it only needed sure. to be the essay. And with, with something, with some things from my life, I liked the idea of collecting them and creating like an archive. Um, but having that negative space where I, you know, it's, it's almost, um, it's like, it's a it's like a withholding act in a way where I'm like you don't get the meaning it's like the whatever meaning you acquire from this is on you it's not on me mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's frustrating for a lot of readers based on my Goodreads page <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay with me because that's the style that I like and like there's this other essay I love or um, book that I love called Vectors by James Richardson um, it's called Vectors 10 Second Essays And that's how, and that book, I think, gave me the permission. I was like, okay, this is what I, like, this is the aphorism, you know, in this form. And when it's collected, it takes on a deeper meaning. So if, if the reader doesn't see that meaning, it's okay with me. But I think that there's something really beautiful about having, you know, these short bursts of, of moments or images that can, that don't tell you what to think about them. So as a result of reading them in a collected form, like the two essays in my book, they, you know, become interpreted based on the reader's experience with it, not yeah. not what I'm telling them to feel or think. Yeah, kind of where where they where the things kind of rub on each other and, and kind of the resonance there. And I find like uh, uh, people who like tell me like they don't they like maybe miss the point of something like that, um, but they liked a lot of like the what it said i was like yeah well no then you didn't miss the point like <laughs> a lot of yeah, exactly. a lot of the exactly. pleasure of it is in each each little bit and and what it said and and kind of yeah. the uh, i guess the engagement for a reader is thinking in between those spaces but like yeah. i i just like to read them sometimes even if i <laughs> get to the end yeah. and like i don't have some grand unifying principle of what it all meant i still really liked reading it and i still really liked a lot of the things that it you know it, that it has to say yeah I think I think some readers are just too used to television. Honestly, they I think some people like even people that read a lot, they just watch too much TV that tells them exactly how to feel about what they're watching. And it's like that's not how all art is supposed to exist. Like you, you're supposed to have some questions about certain art. You know, you're supposed mm-hmm. to you're supposed to engage with some things rather than just absorb it. That you're supposed to give something back to it. I think, and that's what I like about that form. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder like now, so that came out in 2019, do you find yourself still drawn to writing and reading 
that kind of work uh, that's like deeply personally engaged and uh, interested in um, kind of putting them together artfully, like any whatever it's writing? Um, yeah, you know, I just I love anything that doesn't tell me what to feel or think. Ultimately, that's like my aesthetic. It's like I like <laughs> things that can be that are, have ambiguity, have mysteries to solve, have and not literally always. It's not like, you know, I'm reading a mystery novel. It's just there's something in there that's mysterious and that refuses to be pinned down all the way um, and is a little bit shifty, I guess, in its movement. Like, I like that feeling because my favorite way to experience things is to experience them more than once. So if I really love a book, I want to read it again. Mm -hmm. I watch my favorite movies like literally a hundred times because I'd rather rewatch my movie, the movie that I love, you know, from my list of favorite movies, than watch a new movie and take a risk that I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just how I absorb things. But I think, you know, a lot, I know a lot of people don't want to reread and don't want to rewatch something. They would just think like, but I've already done it. Um, And I just think my brain works differently where I almost find comfort in knowing how something ends so that I can experience it in a totally different way. Mm. So I think that's just always the kind of art that I like, whether that's music that changes the more you listen to it, to a film that you understand, the more times you watch it. You know, I, I watch all of these YouTube videos of like the shining explained, <laughs> you know, that's like, it's yeah. like two hours long. It's like longer than the movie. And it's like all the symbolism and all the secrets that they think Kubrick, you know, put inside the movie. It's like, I'm, I love that stuff. And I'll, I'll watch, I'll watch all the, all the amateur decoded explained YouTube videos. So yeah. Yeah. I realize that's really boring to a lot of people, but not to me. No, I'm the same exact way. <laughs> um, yeah, and I th- I think about um, uh, your work with other writers on their manuscripts and, and stuff like that. So having, you know, done a collection and working with other writers to figure out, like, to finish a collection that's possibly sellable or saleable, mm-hmm. whatever the word is. Um, <laughs> and, and in particular, I'm asking about working in this these kinds of forms, um, you know, personal uh, essay, which I guess isn't, like, I don't know. That's like, is that a term people use anymore? I think it used to mean something different. And then now it means another thing different. But uh, essays largely about the self and communication with itself and, you know, the external world, yada, yada, uh, from an artful standpoint. uh, Like when you're working with writers of this kind of work and you're trying to help them with their manuscripts, is there like a piece of advice you feel that you happen to give a lot? Um, for people trying to turn this kind of writing they're doing into a book, um, mm-hmm. maybe related to putting the book together itself, or even just thinking about how uh, your writing in this form could be more distinct or fully formed or unique yeah. or artful. Is there something that you kind of tend to come back to a lot working with writers? Yeah, I was I was thinking as you were talking, and I think I do have an answer for this because I don't, I feel like I don't repeat myself that much because my feedback for people is always so hyper-specific on like what they're trying to do. So yeah. I don't have these kind of um, aphoristic statements right. that apply to every student I work with or something. But I do find that in a workshop setting, so I teach, I've like taught a couple Zoom workshops last year and I've taught at Bennington and stuff. There's this thing that happens in nonfiction workshops where we discuss a piece, like we've read the piece, we discuss it, we've responded to it already. 
And then when it's the writer's turn to respond, because um, I usually, you know, I'll usually encourage people to just listen to what people are saying, not interject really, unless they have something they want to clarify or something we, if they think we're going in the wrong direction or something. I'm not like, you can't speak. <laughs> <laughs> but usually I'm like, you know, at the end, you can kind of ask us more questions and respond to what we've said and talk about it more. And something I find that happens when they try to clarify they will say exactly the thing that was missing from the essay. <laughs> yeah. So it's like this thing happens where, you know, we think about uh, it's like capital E essay. It has to be this piece of art and I have to curate it and I have to make each sentence so beautiful. And sometimes it's like the essayist forgets to actually include the most straightforward, important thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really speaking logistically, but I'm thinking like, you know, I've been in a workshop where someone was like, yeah, and, you know, you guys are reading it this way because I didn't tell you that the day before we went to this place and I told him I loved him and all this stuff. It's like they'll just <laughs> say this thing that they left out because they thought it wasn't artful or relevant. Mm -hmm. And I just think a lot of times essayists need to actually just, like, lower the stakes for themselves and just say what needs to be said. Like, say what they actually care about. Don't Don't always think about you know, in the early stages of writing, at least don't always think about, okay, this has to be said as beautifully as possible, as, you know, poignant as possible, as literary as possible. It's like, just say what you would say to someone if you were in a room with them, telling them what, telling mm -hmm. them the story. Like, mm -hmm. how would you say that? And usually that unlocks something for them. Is they're like, oh, like now that, now that my, now that the stakes are lowered, I know how to do it. But sometimes people will come in with like really coy, stylistic essays and it's like they forgot to say the thing that matters the most to them so there has to be i think different elements of approaching a piece because i definitely think that sentences should be beautiful and paragraphs should be as perfect as possible yeah. <laughs> like i'm like a really rigid editor yeah. but in the early stages of writing something i think there's an element of freedom that you have to afford yourself in mm -hmm. order for that kind of subconscious truth to come forth yeah it sounds right to me. Um, and so, yeah, I also wonder since the, I mean, so all the pieces in that book, right, were kicking around for years before it was published in 2019. Yeah. And then we've had quite a bit of time since then. So I wonder what's been brewing uh, for you in the writing department. Or is there something done that you're waiting to try to place? Are you working on projects? Yeah. What have you it's done and what are you doing? <laughs> it's not all the way done yet, but I am at work on a novel. And I think I'm close to having a final revision, but I've definitely said that before and I change my mind and say, no, it's not done yet. So yeah. it's had I've had kind of a bumpy ride with it actually, because I just it's like I started with it thinking like, yeah, I can write a novel. So what? You know, like I just cause I just because I've never written fiction doesn't mean I can't write a novel. And I had this what I consider a pretty good idea for a novel, and that kind of set me on a path. And then the self-doubt crept in and mm -hmm. was like, why did you ever think you could write a novel, you idiot? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that kind of, you know, so it's like just having to maneuver through that. And that's a roller coaster that I experience with my essays, too. So I think, you know, in my teaching and this like the morning writing club and stuff, a lot of it is trying to give permission to people that need it. Where it's like you can write the book that you're meant to write, like just write it because <laughs> it's, it's like well, there's so many ways that as writers, we block ourselves from doing the thing that we should do. I mean, you mm -hmm. and I talked about this. It's like, there's many ways to procrastinate in a productive way. Yeah, Starting sorry. your own press, for instance. <laughs> <I'm a> professional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So um, I'm, you know, in previous years, I've been really frustrated at how long it's taken me because I think it's easy to compare yourself to others and be like, oh my God, I'm falling behind. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the, I have to remember that a lot of the people that are my peers and were my peers kind of coming up, so to say, um, people that like I read with in 2012 and stuff like that, they all published way before I did. And Mm -hmm. I was, you know, it's like, I've always kind of been a late bloomer in that sense. So I'm just kind of trying to be at peace with the fact that I seem to just take longer. Um, And that's just how I roll. So I don't really know. It's like, I'm not going to try to write faster just to match other people's paces. Although I'm not always at peace with how long things take me. I ultimately do always feel that you know, when it's published, it needed to take that long. Right. Like I look at my book of essays and I'm like, wow, that's kind of a short book to take like seven years to write. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm proud of it. And so it's like, you know, however long it takes to get to that point, I would rather do that than publish early and say, oh, I should have spent another year on that, hmm. you know. So um, I try to I try to balance that. But I think it ultimately has to do with my like insane control issues where I like don't want to let it go because mm-hmm. you know, it's like even when it feels frustrating to work on something, at least you have it. It's <laughs> like when it's gone, it's mm-hmm. gone. Like when it's like off on submission, it's gone. And there's like a really wild a wave of melancholy that sweeps over me when something is gone and it doesn't belong to me. So I like that feeling of working on sentences for years, you know? And I think that's like why I do what I do, but that's also why I'm not the kind of writer that only makes money from writing. It's like, I'm too (laughs) slow to do that. (laughs) Um, What about the novel? You know, what about the novel is something that you keep kind of working and reworking? Like what is giving you some of the most, I don't want to say frustration, but I guess most attention or recurring attention about kind of the process of writing a novel for the first time. There's a lot of moving parts in the novel and I have ultimately changed my mind about how it should end a couple Mm -hmm. of times. So I felt really strong about a certain ending and then I changed my mind and then that changes everything in the book if it ends a certain way. So I've just had to kind of meditate on that. And I finally feel like committed to the ending that I came up with now. But ultimately, it's been like a draft per year for like four years now. Mm-hmm. So that's um, not too bad. <laughs> it's not thank too you. Bad. That, sounds about, <laughs> that sounds about normal for what I hear. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I try to not be like, oh, that's slow. That's fast. It's just like, that's just how long it's taken me. I don't know why, but. But, you know, I've also had a lot of, like, life changes in the past couple of years. It's like I moved, Mm. you know, I made this huge, like, cross-country move that set me back tremendously. Um, You know, the death of my friend Giancarlo de Trampano, like, Mm. that was a huge blow for me in a lot of ways. And it set me back. It's like I was, I remember, you know, um, I was, like, getting really close to finishing a draft at that point, and he died. And it's like, I was like, I can't finish this, you know? And so it's like, I, I have to kind of, and I think I say this to just remind other people, too, if they if they need that reminder that's like, you know, stuff comes up. And then we're, it's like, as a result of being a different person, sometimes it, it you know, you need a whole new revision then. It's yeah. like, I can't, fi- I can't, fi- I can't finish the same draft that I wrote when Giancarlo was alive to Mm. me like that's what a big impact it was on me so it's like I have to rewrite the book (laughs) you know what I mean so I don't know if that's an excuse I made to myself but that's just how how it happened I think that's a 
a reason or an excuse, whatever word we want to use that <laughs> I could apply to myself a lot. Yeah, I feel like I do projects and then I kind of finish them, but I can't get them out in time enough for me to not have changed to either yes. a not want to publish it <laughs> yes. uh, or to think that it's actually a part of something else or should take a different yeah. form, which is kind of fine, I guess, because in I guess in a way it's like a if it can't outlast my next self, <laughs> if it can't outlast my next self, maybe it doesn't need to be out. <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe but maybe there's a balance too, because it's like you know, if if um someone wanted to put out tonight and someone else today, I'd probably say no. Right. <laughs> you know, but it's yeah. like I it, so it's like I have a sense of peace because it it's out. It, like I think of the book as being out there living its own life. Like it doesn't. Right. It's written by me, but it's like a whole different entity now, and um. So maybe there's a balance to be struck for you of like, just yeah. get it out while you still like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, in writing the novel. So, I mean, that's a, pr I feel like it's a big switch. I, I guess it depends on the kind of novel or the type of novel that you're writing to go from essay collection to novel. Um, what I guess, I guess my question is about like the voice of the novel um, or the, the point of view of the novel like how different does it feel than writing the essays? Um, do you feel like you retained like some kind of tie to that natural voice or POV to work with in the novel? Or have you, do you really feel like it's very different, well, like a, a different person or, you know, that was, that was part of, that was part of one of the year long revisions is I did write it in third person and then I switched it to first person. <laughs> <laughs> And I was just talking about this with someone I met with this morning who I had a consultation with about their um, piece of writing that um, it's like, I don't know, for me, I felt like, okay, I have to shake the voice of my essays. Like I want it to be different. So mm -hmm. I had to write it in third person. But then once I'd shaken that voice and written it in third person, I could see that it was meant to be in first person, but mm -hmm. only through writing that third person voice did I realize that? So I think I don't have any regrets about that. I think it helped shape the book. It helped me like put the right characters in the right place at the right time. But ultimately, I think I'm still operating better in first person, which allows me to be, I think like dreamier and weirder. <laughs> it's like in third person with this like kind of removed element. I found it difficult to really um just go on tangents you know what I mean like where I was like but who's speaking the tangent if it's right. not me you know right. <laughs> or if it's not that first if it's not that character how can she start fantasizing about something start daydreaming about something which is how my brain works so I've ultimately felt it to be too restrictive to be as interesting as like I think it could be so I'm working on that and I think it that's um much improved but I think that's me mainly that was the first really big conflict I encountered is I was like, yeah, this is like, this is too removed. I need to do it in first person. So. All right. That's my conversation with Chelsea Hodson. You can check out her book tonight. I'm someone else wherever you buy books and definitely go check out Rose books, rosebooks.co put in some pre-orders and don't forget to check out our books too over at autofocuslit.com books okay that's it thanks for listening
until next time.